we at the Rouge Rugby wish to extend our condolences to the family and friends of Liam Geddes. Liam was a well-respected and liked player for Queen's University Gales, Rugby Ontario, Lindsay Rugby Football Club. He shall be missed. And welcome to another episode of the Rouge Rugby Podcast. Joining me, as always, is Derek Brissett. Derek, it has been a big weekend of rugby. We've had the penultimate round of the Six Nations. We've had the sixth round of MLR. The latest version of SLAR has begun as well. There's rugby here, there and everywhere. How are you able to keep up? Uh, um, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. It's been a wild week. I, uh, like there's, like you said, it's like there's so much. Um. You know, it was nice of the Free Jacks to play a Six Nations game while the, um, you know, the Arrows Academy and the Independents were battling. So you could kind of watch both at the same time, provided the play was in the right end of the field. So that was super convenient. There is. Yeah, there's just so much going on. Yeah, there was a, it was a really busy weekend. Yeah, just games constantly. It's not changing, though, because there's still going to be. I think this week we're still rolling six MLR games, Six Nation finals this week. No. Yep. That'll yeah. be the final weekend. Coming right. up, so it's, like, it's it's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. The AFL season starts this week too. If you're into that, so it's kind of that's not rugby at all. I don't know why I'm bringing that up, but uh, Drive to Survive also came out. I know you're excited about that one. Drive to Survive came out on the. Have you dove into it yet? I've watched it all already, and I will talk about it later as we go through the show. But first off, I just want to mention that something you brought up is that there was a academy game that was held before the Arrows Free Jacks game. So it has been officially announced that the Arrows Academy, uh, sorry, the Arrows Senior Academy, um, will begin playing games this year. This was only announced on March the 11th, so literally four days ago, um, just before their first game of the season. And they had a game up against the New England Independents. And this was announced very minutes, so we got a very last announcement of the actual season that they'll be having. So the Arrows Academy is made up of uh, three different regional sites. Two are in Ontario, one based in Guelph, the other in Kingston, and one in Quebec in Montreal. And they have been training basically for the past two years on and off, obviously being restricted by the restrictions that have been um, in place due to COVID. And now they will be playing their fixtures and they have confirmed fixtures home and away, not only with New England, but New York as well. They are also in the final stages of scheduling a two-game series in Halifax that will pit the Arrows Academy against the Atlantic Selects and the Canada West Selects. And that will be in either late May or early June. So we have a lot. So this isn't going to be a one and done. We do have some academy games to look forward to as the season goes on. But let's talk about the game that actually happened. So there's very interesting starting 15. Uh, five of the players are actually senior Arrows players. Uh, Sam Mace was the captain um, at Hooker, while Mitch Vorlek at fullback was the vice captain. Um, interesting enough, uh, Marc-Antoine Ouellette was named both in this squad and the matchday squad for the Arrows. And what actually was set to transpire was that he would only play the first half of the academy game and would then be on the bench for the actual Arrows game. It turns out he wasn't actually, sele- he wasn't actually played in the Arrows game. But, you know, we had Bryce Warden, Sam Mace, Marc-Antoine Lett, all front row, all senior Arrows players, also Hank Stevenson in the second row, and obviously the vice-captain, Mitch Rolek, being the fullback. Um, so the final score from that game, it was uh, a bit one-sided. Uh, the academy players had 12 and the independents 35. Derek, you were able to um, catch this game. Uh, what did you make of it? What do you make of the Academy's first outing against another MLR Academy team? 
Yeah, I mean, I, it definitely it looked like their first time playing together. Um, and I don't really and I don't mean that in like a negative way. It's just, you know, chemistry and stuff is something that takes time to build up. And we know that that one one of the things with the Arrows Academy is obviously it, it kind of got formed and then COVID hit um, pretty quickly after yeah. it got formed. Right. So, um, the, you know, the players have had I think they even mentioned it. they were showing some of the pregame speeches and, you know, in the uh, the locker room and stuff before the game on the uh, the new um, Arrows Academy social media channels. And, you know, like they were kind of talking about the fact that it's, you know, they like it's you know, they're kind of getting their first opportunity to have like a full season together or to have like, you know, regularly play together regularly. As you kind of mentioned, it looks like there's already, you know, future games already lined up. Uh, and, you know, I think ultimately, you know, win or, win or loss uh, or win or lose, win or loss. Wow. Win or lose. I think, you know, it's great to see that the Arrows Academy is, yeah, that was, I see you laughing at that, that mistake there, Stu, because that was, uh, that's, that was a bad one. Um, it's, uh, I think the, the, uh, the Toronto arrows, like it's a good thing to have the Academy going up and running. It's something that I think Canadian rugby definitely needs. Like you said, like, I mean, we're talking about, you had, you mentioned that there's five guys that are tech that are on the arrows full, like senior that are on like the arrows MLR roster, right. And warden Mace Ouellette, Stevenson and Vorilek. Vorilek's probably Vorilek's probably played the most out of all of them on the senior team. Um, so far, Ulets obviously got into a couple games. Hank Stevenson has played for a whole bunch of MLR teams, but yet to actually get into an MLR game. And uh, Warden and Mace are obviously draft picks that you know haven't haven't made an appearance yet this year. And it's like, you know, it, I think that's one of the immediate things that you kind of notice with. Um, I think that's one of those things. Is like immediately what you kind of notice with this game is it's like you give those guys a chance to get some game time. Right. And also you give, uh, if, I think if you really kind of look at Vorilek, um, especially it's like you give those guys, like if they're on the arrows roster, you have Rumball, you have Della Vega, you have Sam Malcolm, right. You have a ton of talented players. Right. And it's like, I think in this game, it's like you give a chance to guys like Mick Vor, uh, to a guy like Mitch Vorilek, a chance to like be the guy. Right. The guy that's like, you know, running, you know, call like running a little bit of the offense. It kind of goes through him. You're one of the better, best players on the team, as opposed to, you know, being, you know, part of the bigger, um, I guess, part of the bigger picture. And but maybe not necessarily the star player. So you kind of get a little bit, maybe more like the responsibility. And then you also get obviously a whole bunch of guys that can that, you know, can kind of show their development and give them chances to develop, give them a chance to, I guess, travel around with the MLR team too, see some MLR games, learn what it's going to take to get to that next level. Yeah. It's a good uh, learning curve to have. Yeah, exactly. Straight into an MLR game. Yeah, exactly. It was like, you can turn around and watch it. I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of those guys are absorbing a lot, especially as you kind of mentioned the five guys that are, you know, seem to kind of be bouncing between the Academy and uh, the MLR side. Um, but ultimately, like, I thought the game was good. I think, you know, like you said, it's like there's obviously, you know, a bit of a, I guess, a 35 to 12 loss, right? So the scoreboard doesn't look too flattering. Yeah, I mean, but then again, as you said, this is, um, yeah. it seems like their first game together. It's yeah, exactly. also an away game as well. So In, obviously, Hongfield have mentioned the does. worst weather. And, and the worst weather. The we worst. will get into that for the because obviously yeah. following this game was the arrows game. The weather, well. the weather for this game was worse. I think I don't know. I couldn't really tell. I, maybe it's just those. Maybe it was just the. I don't know. I can't really. It was tough to tell. I don't know. Maybe as night fell and it just made the arrows yeah. game darker, so it picks up the it snow up more a lot better. Either way, in this game, so obviously I think um, one of the things that's really nice. I think like the first try that the arrows scored. Um, being like a nice, there's a scrum. Um, the scrum holds the, there's a scrum, the scrum holds well. It's a, you know, they give like that, that front row, that all basically all like MLR team front row gives, um, a really nice platform for the arrows to attack from. Right. And then I thought, you know, always pass from the back is nice. And then I thought James Webb made a really nice play to kind of draw in the first defenders coming towards him and then kind of fire like that reverse pass out to Vorilek 
as the defenders were already kind of coming towards him, making it look like that he's going to be the ball carrier. So that was a really nice play. Vorlek kind of burns the first defender and offloads to Schroeder to uh, Paul Schroeder to finish the try. Um, so that was um, that was a really solid play. And yeah, so like that was a really solid play, which was a great thing to see. The other try too, again, the scrum being a really nice platform. I think the scrum worked pretty, pretty well for them, at least as far as the, uh, you know, putting up tries scrum as a platform. Again, Matt fish just takes the ball uh, from the eight man spot and just any of the new England independents that were in his way were promptly rolled over like a speed bump and he scored that try. So that was a nice, nice play from fish. I thought he played well through most of the game too. Um, I thought a lot of the backs were pretty good, um, you know, uh, across the board from uh, Webb Butler, McLaughlin, Eustace, um, Schroeder, Vorlek were all good. I thought Adam Doyle played pretty good, too, once he came in um, into the game as the reserve of as the reserve scrum half. Um, and, you know, it's uh, uh, it was a good game all kind of all around. The, the weakest point was probably I think the, the independents probably stole too many lineouts um, for, yeah. you know, any anyone's liking. But. Uh, but I think like overall, it's like, it's, it, I think it was a, it was a solid first outing and it's something that I think, you know, the team can kind of build on and hopefully it's like, has if the arrows can keep arranging games for them. I like this idea that if they go to play like another MLR team, they put, bring the Academy with them and play them. Um, I think that's a, that's a really good way to go about doing this. I also think like what the Free Jacks did on this weekend looked incredible. They had like club games, they had this academy game, and then it all kind of accumulated into the big, uh, the big Free Jacks versus Arrows game at the end. Um, they were showing like the Six Nation games on scoreboard on the scoreboard, like during and in between games. Um, kind of looked like it had like a full out like proper festival vibe to it. So it's uh, you know, I thought I thought as a whole the the game went pretty well and. The, the weird thing was, though, that I thought was weird, and I don't know why, but they appeared to have were not playing under MLR rules. Which the Academy game? Yeah. Like, try they were converting tries that were scored under the post. Um, there wasn't too many scrum resets anyways, but I, I, I'm, yeah. and I'm not sure I noticed a third one anywhere. Um, there was a ball that was held up over the line that ended up being like a that was a five meter scrum instead of a 22 dropout um so i thought okay. that was kind of weird but okay the ball being held up should have been a um goal line dropout because yeah. that's and a not world a scrum, rugby rule but it, but it was but the other things such as the automatic seven the um limited scrum resets those are only specific to uh mlr games yeah, but I, so I you can like... argue so you can argue of like oh then they referees, especially if they're coming from doing yeah. local club games in which they don't have these rules, it's just a no, case of like, like oh, they won't do it. I mean, that's fine. It's not, it's not like I was like watching it being like, oh, like that's bizarre, like that's bizarre or anything. It was just kind of like, oh, huh, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. It's just a minor thing that I kind of noticed. Um, I think I think it was I think it was New England's. Is it New England? I think it's New England's first or second try that is scored under the post. And some of the players seem to be kind of thinking like automatic conversion. I think the arrows actually run off the goal line, like to go to like set up for the kickoff. And then like the, like the, the new England kicker kind of like, just kind of waits there. And then like the, he actually ends up kicking the conversion. But um, so that was, I don't know. I just thought that was, I feel like if you're MLR academies, though, you should be playing and you're playing another MLR academy. It's like playing under MLR rules is probably a beneficial way to groom guys to play in MLR. Not like, or maybe you just want guys to get kicking practice. It's like, if they have to, it's like, yeah, that's the academy, right? You got to develop. Well, maybe they just need to iron out the rules now yeah. for future games. Sure. But as it's been mentioned, um, the Arrows Academy will be playing um, New York as well. Um, hopefully that means they'll have a game before the Rugby New York Arrows game in a few weeks' time. Uh, and then when both teams come to Toronto to play, we can have an academy game before that. Now we'll move on to the um, main event, the Arrows versus the Free Jacks. And as we mentioned already, the weather was horrible. It sounds as though they had a perfect um, festival setup. 
everything was going well, but the weather just decided not to agree with them and just do its own thing, you know, diva. Um, so the snow was snow was coming down. I think it was sleet as well for most of the game as well. Um, billowing winds. Um, and the Free Jacks got the scoring started because now I don't know about you, but um, <laughs> Bowling Walker doesn't need to join uh, the New Zealand rugby team. He needs to join their soccer team because wow. just excellent football skills, able to get the volley of the ball, um, take it within like five meters, offload, first try of the match, done and dusted. And then it took a long time for either side to score. I mean, I think Toronto missed a few opportunities, uh, made a few decisions that didn't really add up. For example, De La Vega made a great break. And then with Brody on his left, uh, chipped the head. I could see what he was trying to do. It just didn't um, come together. And in the end, it was a, a penalty that got the arrows on the scoreboard. Um, and then we get the second half and almost immediately uh, arrows are pinned down. Um, they give away possession of the scrum and then Slay McDowell um, slips between two defenders. Waka gets another conversion. Suddenly it's 14-3 up. Although that said, the try of the game came from Brock Webster who must have seen Andrew Coe scoring for New York last week and said, you know what? You're a sevens player. I'm a sevens player. Uh, anything you can do, I can do just as well. Chip from uh, Sam Malcolm over catch, immediately down, try scored. Arrows are back in the game. However, the conversion with the wind and the weather, the sharp angle um, obviously didn't go over. So it's like 14-8. Then comes probably the most infuriating score of the game. And again, it is Slay McDowell, who I don't know. If, I'm going to say it's obviously like the snow, the sleet, the wind has just gone on to his, um, his um, you know, like a St. Patrick's Day, New England kit. It's mixed with those fibers. Magic has happened. Suddenly, no one can keep their hands on him. He gets through five tacklers and scores a try. And it's at that point where it's like, okay, the game's won for the free jacks. They've got the momentum swinging. And, you know, time's running out. It's, you know, they only have about 12, 30 minutes left of the game. And if it was under normal circumstances, normal weather... You know, I I could see the arrows like getting back into it, but obviously things just aren't going their way. And then uh, Cole Keith gets a yellow card for something that just seemed like a bit of shoving, but the TMO was saying it was something else. Then you have uh, Mike Shepard putting his arm around another player's neck, and that's another penalty conceded. And then Josh Larson uh, gets the yellow card. So... Um, sorry, Josh Larson gets a yellow card for something else, but obviously it's like it's just time that's ticking away from the arrows to get back into the game. But you know, we're not ending on a downer. There was some positives. You know, the clock goes in the red. The arrows have possession. They keep pushing forward, keep applying the pressure. Eventually, Jack McRogers gets through. Um, doesn't get the seven pointer. He's just the other side of the post. But it's easy enough for Malcolm to get the conversion. The Arrows leave with a losing bonus point. The final score, New England 21, Toronto 15. <sighs> Derek, good summary. What, good summary. Thank, thank you. Derek, what was your highlight of the match? My highlight? Well, highlights, obviously, the Webster try. That play was sweet. Um, we need to, we need to bottle that up a little bit. That was, that was amazing. Um, you know, just Malcolm's awareness to see Webster kind of open on on the wing. I guess New England was definitely as the arrows were kind of trying, like you know, you know, hammering away at the line there. The New England defense was kind of pinching in toward, like in towards where the ball was, and Webster was just kind of left all alone. And it was a, you know, that was a, a like perfect kick over, nicely taken by Webster. Um, yeah, brilliant try. I guess uh, I don't know if he uh, talked to Andrew Cole. Maybe they're sharing some uh, sevens team <laughs> secrets. I'm not really sure, but um, the like that's I, I love that this play is kind of um, 
seems to be making its way into MLR a little bit. It's pretty exciting. Um, that play that walk, I guess another highlight. I mean, it's not really a highlight if you're an Arrows fan, but that play that Waka made that you from, from a neutral perspective. Yeah, from a highlight. neutral perspective, yeah, that play that Waka made was ridiculous with that half that half volley. And I think um that's one of those plays that it's like he's probably is Waka the early season favorite to be MVP right now, like as we sit right now. Is he the yeah, yeah. I think Ooh. he is. Yeah. I, I think he is. He's the most he seems to have the most influence on games as well. I mean, obviously being a fly half, you will have influence on your games. But I mean, he's just he's always in the right position at the right time. I mean, against New York, he was able to get an intercept and a try from that. He was able to score another yeah. tri- he scored three tries last week, actually, didn't he? So yeah, he's, he's uh, scored a lot. So yeah, I he's think- He's been racking up that try tally. He wants to get the top point scorer of the season as well. Yeah, he's just trying to get all of them except anything that involves cards because uh, seems to be on side for all that. I'll tell you one thing that was a highlight for any fan, whether you're an Arrows fan, New England fan, or neutral. Those St. Patrick's Day kits were beautiful. <laughs> the, the kits were the kits were nice. That the uh, New England. New England always hits the mark on the kits, man. No matter what they do, it's like they have, um, they had that one white kit in their first year that didn't have the collar, and that's, you know, just looks like it doesn't even belong in the uh, the wardrobe that this team has put forth since then. Hmm. Um, always, you know, the classic collar always looks good, but yeah, they they nailed these St. Patrick's Day kits. They looked unbelievable, and um, you know, it's too bad they got soaking wet the entire time, but. It's uh, yeah. they looked great. Um, yeah, I think though, like kind of looking at the game though, and it's like, it, it's one of those things where it's like, is this a game? Like, I don't, it's not that I necessarily think that New England didn't deserve to win the game because New England definitely deserves to win this game. But is this a game that the arrows should have won that they kind of that slipped through the thing, the fingers a little bit, or is this a game that the arrows just lost? I think this is a it's, game, is there this that if, has. So this is the thing. The weather is the great equalizer or determiner, especially when it's like wet and sleet. And because that's it. We have players on both sides, like have handling errors, both sides, you know, tripping over themselves, uh, losing lines. The inability to get uh, that those five tacklers to stop New England oh, from man. scoring the okay, third so that, try. Yeah. That was infuriating. That terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, a, that's why I would say... Toronto lost this game because yeah. if if five of you can't tackle one person, yeah, no, you lost. Then, you, then yeah. you've lost okay. the game. So, you know, but uh, at the same time, I think as well, um, you know, arrows knowing that all they if they get a try and if they get a converted try or like a seven point try, they get the losing bonus point. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we're only a third of the way through the season now. It's hard to tell what impact it'll have at this moment, but you never know. Obviously, yeah. back in 2019, the Arrows had seven um, wins on the bounce at home, and it was those uh, bonus points they got earlier in the season that helped push them ahead of other teams that were trying to make the playoffs as well. Obviously, different structure, so different yeah. results this time. But at the moment, very, very close at the top in the East. I think um, the difference between first and third is only one point. And... You have a case of like, yes, the arrows are behind now, but you know, as the season goes on, momentum swings different ways. It'll be these losing bonus points or these try bonus points, whichever comes around, yeah. that can make the difference come the end. So I think it may even be a case of like uh, Toronto lost the battle, but they've done enough to maybe help them win the war. Yeah. Okay. Mostly. So I guess I guess one thing though that what I kind of meant by that, I guess, is. I think you kind of look at, and it's like the first half, I thought the arrows, the arrows played really well. I thought in the first half, um, the one try that they allowed was, as we kind of mentioned, a ridiculous play from Bodie and Baca. And, you know, as no matter what you do defensively, it's like, there's going to be times where great players just make a great play. And there's pro- like, maybe, maybe there was something you can do, but realistically it's like, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. Um, every every great try that's ever been scored has uh, had somebody else on the other side of that highlight reel, right? So yeah. it was a great play. We'll let that one that one we'll let go. Good try by New England. But I think it's like you kind of look at it and you kind of mentioned the weather. There was a bit of wind. The arrows had the wind in the first half. Um, mm-hmm. 
and they had, you know, they had 83% of the territory in the first half, which is a lot. Right. And so it was like pretty much basically the whole first half was played in new England's end. And they only came away with three points during that entire time. And you kind of mentioned, like you mentioned other parts of the game too, where it's like they get down into the 20 inside the 22, maybe like five meters out and then a knock on a penalty, you know, a knock on a penalty, any other error kind of ended the the scoring threat. Or even at sometimes like new England's defense played very well too. Sometimes it was just simply not being able to get through new England's defense. Right. Yeah. And eventually new England would get it, would earn their own turnover on like, and I mean, I strictly mean earn that. And, but it's, it seems like, as you kind of mentioned though, too, right? Like the bonus points, it's like, well, one of the ways to get bonus points is to score tries. And yeah. the, the, it just seems like through a couple of games this season and in this game as well, like there's just a lot of opportunities that are, that you could try scoring opportunities that, like you said, like that Cole Keith yellow card, um, I agree with you, kind of soft, just soft yellow card. The unfortunate thing, though, is that there was, what, was it a knock-on or a penalty or something that was going against the arrows before that anyway? Yeah, so it seemed like, it was, uh, yeah, they were just like inches from the line and yeah. a knock-on had occurred. So. A knock-on had occurred, right? So you're inches, away, you're, you're, yeah, you're inches away from the line and there was a knock-on. And then like, yeah, it's a soft yellow. I mean, like but it's a soft yellow but what can you do it just makes the situation kind of worse really but it was like there that's a that's a try scoring opportunity that went aside like you said it's like later in the game there's a try scoring opportunity that goes because uh mike shepherd you know kind of got his arm up high on a new england player in in the mall and you know they're not arrows aren't able to capitalize on that few other instances in the game too where it's just knock-ons or you know penalties and it's, it's kind of like, I guess it, it is kind of one of those things where it's like, if you're saying you're going to rely on bonus points and stuff, you got to start just like capitalizing on some of these opportunities. Cause it seems like, it seems like in some, in, in a way, like the arrows almost seem a little bit snake bitten right now when they kind of get inside that 22. And I mean, you kind of look at it too, like even through five games of the MLR so far i mean a lot of teams in the west have played six games but the eastern conference right now is sitting all at five games the arrows 10 tries is the least tries that have been scored um in the eastern conference yeah if you take the if you take all the western conference teams and remove the sixth game too right the arrows have scored the least amount of tries through five games of the mlr season so far right and yeah Four of the four of the ten tries that they've scored were against Old Glory, who everybody is scoring tries against. Yeah, um, right. And you know, it's not that they're super far behind, right? Nola and Old Glory only have eleven tries, so that's not that big of a difference in all reality, yeah. right? Um, the teams though that are currently sitting in the playoff spots, um, that you kind of mentioned that it's only it's only one point separating first and third, but it's eight points separating third and fourth. And yeah. nine points separating third and fifth, where the arrows currently sit. So it is. It's the it. It's a bit of a. It's a little bit of a gap already. Um, but it's. Um, but like you know, New England, New England, Atlanta, rugby, New York. They all have like twenty tries each. There's a lot of teams in the West that have a ton of tries as well. Um, but it's just yeah. Like I don't know. Is is it? Do they gotta? Like I, I guess that's the question. They've only hit the try bonus once in the five games this year, right? Yeah. Um, right, and they got the uh, so it's I don't know. Like, do it, do the arrows have to do something to try to get more tries on the board, or do we have to kind of like, you know, maybe kind of look at like say like that line note or the set piece to be like, okay, like why aren't we scoring tries when we get down into like that five? Because realistically, I mean, like. They, they only lost this game by one try, right? And yeah. there were certainly opportunities to score more than one try that came through this game. Yeah. No, they, I don't know if it's a case of, you know, say it's similar to like Austin last year where they just don't have the finishers in place to mm. capitalize on those opportunities. I don't know if it's a case of, you know, they need to focus on their set piece and, 
come back to having one of the most dangerous set pieces in MLR that they did have in 2019 and 2020. Um, I think it's probably going to be a combination of those two things, to be honest. You know, we, we're obviously talking about this. Um, need to keep in mind that the majority of um, Toronto's injury lists are backs. I know, yeah. The so, list is not so the attacking strategy that was probably in place has been uh, readjusted time and time again as the season's gone on. I mean, I'll, but I, that's why they signed like Brock Webster on that short-term contract because he's a guy who, you know, as shown for his Canada debut, can score tries, can get into the right place at well, the right like- time and score. And that has happened. That's happened twice, but it's only twice it's- so far. He, he said, well, basically, Brock Webster, you need to be scoring at least four tries a game. That's what I'm saying. But Brock that's the Webster, starting first try, a try every five minutes, ideally. I would love that. But is, is that also a thing, though? Is, is, like, is that also a concern that the guy's scoring the most tries? Because I think he's got, what, three now? Two. Two. Does he only have two? All right, maybe not. Yeah, Nola, Nola and uh, this game. So who has the most tries on the team right now? Well, it's currently tried. It's currently tied between Brock Webster and Mike Shepard. And one of Mike Shepard's try was a charge down right in front of the post, which is defense. Yeah, that's (laughs) Um, the Mike Shepard special. Yeah, down scoring try. So, but that's the thing, right? So the uh, like your leading, I guess one of your your leading try scores for the first five games is going to be gone in a couple weeks. Yeah. Going to play for sevens too, right? So, yeah. Um, obviously, though, yeah. Like we got, I think that's a thing, though. Like we kind of have to talk about this, right? Like the uh, the injury situation is just is not good. Oh, absolutely not. It I mean, not we've, it's already been announced here. that Andrew Ferguson, unfortunately, uh, requires surgery, and he's going to be out for mm-hmm. the remainder of the season. Yeah, um, I'm just excited yeah. for him, man. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. He's a fan of the show. We've had him on. He's a great guy, and it's just a uh, Real shame to see him uh, on the sidelines, essentially, for the remainder of the season. Um, but that's the thing. is also, I believe, seven other backs are currently on the injury list with varying levels, whether it's month-to-month, week-to-week, or day-to-day. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, uh, the, the so- arrows keep the close to the te- chest of um, who's going to be uh, released from that injury list and back into the squad. But you but even to- had... You even had like Faleva um, is down with an injury, which is why Ulet had to. I mean, again, you as you mentioned, he didn't actually get into the game for the Arrows game, but they had to line Ulet in both the Academy game and the uh, Big Club game, which is obviously yeah. not an ideal situation. No, it's have. not. Um, for for multiple. Just multiple, re- like I mean, even just the simple, like, what if he gets hurt before the game because he's playing in the other yeah. game? Like, just that, that simple one up that didn't happen, but um, that's obviously not an ideal situation. So yeah, like the injuries, injuries are kind of adding up. Like, um, even you know, and uh, uh, and also too, like I'm not an injury, but you know, Matt Hood had to miss this game for personal reasons. So you know, maybe not the maybe not the ideal the uh, the ideal lineup, but yeah, like it's um, still got to figure out. I guess, figure out ways to score. Maybe, um, you know, I still have to, you know, still have to figure out ways to score. Still have to figure out ways to uh, get through some of the defensive structures. Yeah. But the arrows were obviously still in this game. They were really in this game until Slade McDowell's second try. Yeah. Which, as you meant, like, it was... It it just knocked the wind out of their sails. Yeah. And in all honesty, like, it's just an unacceptable try. No. Like that's that that is the issue as well. As in yeah. you can't you can't blame anyone else when nah. five guys are unable to tackle five, yeah, just someone. Yeah, this straight up missed tackles. And it's the thing, it's like it's not even that like I think the arrows are playing well defensively, like over the course of the year. Like they're not allowing that many points. I think they generally play they're generally playing pretty good defense, but then you end up with just like this absolute defensive lapse and it's it's, it's a at the worst in, possible time. Yeah, it's a big insurance try. Puts New England up. Um, obviously that puts New England up twenty-one-eight with thirteen minutes left. And yeah, even with Larson's red card, it's like it wasn't enough to be able to score two tries. Um, uh, I think you're getting confused. There's only a yellow card for Larson. What did I say? 
red card. Oh, red card. Oh, it's because I'm, it's I'm wearing my red. Uh, beam yeah, exactly. Too. Red exactly. too. That's why. Yeah, it's fine. Sorry, Josh. But, but um, yeah. So, but that's the thing. I think there's um, I think there's positives to take away from this game, especially yeah. um, playing um, to the final whistle. Um, there's obviously a lot of things that need to be learnt, such as, and I can't believe I'm saying this, tackling. But uh, their tackling is fine. It was just the one. It, the one play was horrendous. Though. Yeah, it was just those five tackles. It, that, yeah, it's, uh, I did not good. watch that game and think like, oh, I can't believe they're missing so many tackles. But on that one play, I definitely yeah, thought, exactly. oh, I can't believe they they missed that tackle. And and I, I don't know if it's like a physical thing with the injuries or a mental thing as well. But they just need to get over the line. They need to. Yeah. Um, be yeah, able to guys. make yeah they just need to make otherwise this season's going to be rough but, for you. Yeah. I, I but I mean you know what though I mean we're saying this and it's probably sounding super doom and, like sounding I guess all like doom and gloom here oh um, this is optimistic by Welsh standards yeah oh yeah that's very true in all honesty the arrows I don't think they're in trouble until they lose at home yeah, like, but if, I also yeah. I also want to get to the stage where a loss at home isn't the end of the world or the yeah. end of the season, to be more accurate. Mm-hmm. But you know they've got other they've got other games and hopefully uh, drier and more consistent uh, weather cycles mm-hmm. coming up. So here's hoping that by the time they get to Utah next Saturday, they'll be able to you know put these issues to bed and you know upset uh, the Warriors at home. Speaking of the Warriors, we are also now going to be moving on to the other games that happened this weekend. We're just going to blast through them because, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of rugby going on. We got to get up with it. And first of all, the streak is over. Austin have a loss to this season, and it was done by the hands of ATL, who and you know they were just phenomenal in this game. Matt Heaton, uh, the co-captain, got a try and. It always seemed as though Austin were never in this game. The final score, ATL 29, Austin 14. And remember, you can catch the highlights on YouTube and you can watch the extended highlights um, on the Rugby Network itself. Um, now, we had a great uh, Western battle between Houston and Seattle, you know, evenly matched game. Um, but Houston made the decision to have their Canadian starting uh Robbie Povey started at fullback and uh, Houston won. So, you know, maybe Sabercats keep starting him and you'll, uh, you know, finish as uh, MLR champions. I'm not saying that will happen, but it will definitely happen. Uh, the final score, Houston 21, Seattle 19. And as I said, Povey was uh, instrumental in setting up the game-winning try. Uh, now we had a cross-conference fixture uh, down at Dallas uh, between Dallas and Nola Gold. Uh, this was a very back-and-forth game. It seems as though Nola were going to like steamroll away with this. But Dallas, you know, they stuck to their guns. They kept it going. And just before the final uh, play, it was 26-29. However, Nola um, had a penalty in Dallas's uh, 22, right towards the end, uh, you know, Nola, the uh, final score was Nola 32, Dallas 26. Nola getting that score, obviously, in the second try was scored by Canadian Eric Howard. So, you know, a- another Canadian making the difference. Dallas, where was Mo? Where, where are all your Canadian players? That's why you lost the game. I'm, I'm just saying it's mathematically correct. Are they hurt? Does Dallas have an injury report? Uh, not I'm, to my knowledge. Yeah, and until they do, then I'm blaming them for not picking any Canadian or not even signing Canadians on a temporary basis just to ensure that they finally get a win. <laughs> but I digress. Um, because hey, the, I, I got I got sent a jackal's hat. You have to be nice to the jackals. Hey, you got sent a jackal's hat. I didn't get anything. Dude, yeah. So. Actually, I, I have it actually sitting over here. Like it's actually a really nice hat, man. It's like, yeah. The proof that uh, Derek's loyalty can be bought. I can, I can be, man. The Jackals, the Jackals are the second best team in Major League Rugby right now. The hat is super comfy. Official league, man. It's nice. 
I, I don't know, Matt. I'm going to go now for a game that actually did feature Canadians on both sides. Uh, I think four for San Diego and two for New York. And this was a titanic battle in Hoboken. Um, you know, real back and forth, tries making all the difference, uh, penalties by either side. I think it was... You know, Joe Peterson was kicking all the points of San Diego and fortunately he missed a penalty. San Diego also missed a drop goal as well. And in the end, those things could have made a difference because this was another game that ended with a penalty in the opposition half. So it came down to the final kick in the opposition half and it was Jack Hyten who turned out to be the hero. The final score, despite what it says on the highlights, was <laughs> New York 26 San Diego, 23. No, no, you got that wrong. The uh, the heightened kick was so good, it was worth five points. Yeah, it was basically a trial. It's, that's how that, – it's like um, it's the new trial law. If any kick yeah. 40. If, yeah, if and you kick it in the last three, yeah. kick of the game. Five-point line, yeah. And then we ended out the game with a battle in the West, L.A. versus Utah. And this seemed to be going – LA's way up until I don't know, like the final 10 minutes was it? And then Utah scored two tries. The first of which was incredibly it was incredible gamesmanship. I think that's the correct word to use. Um, you know, tap penalty. LA couldn't tackle because they weren't 10 meters away, by which point they were out of position. Easy try for Utah. And then the final one out onto the wings in the center was there to pick it up. Score it. LA have now lost two games in a row for the first time in MLR history. Whoa. The final score, LA 19, Utah 28. So after a uh, not-so-good start to the season, uh, Utah seemed to be turning it around. Here's hoping that they can uh, turn it back around when it <laughs> comes to Toronto playing, because mm-hmm. they'll be playing Toronto this Saturday. Um Derek, what was your Canadian highlight or highlight in general of the uh, remaining performances of round six? Yeah, I mean, uh, you obviously mentioned, um, you know, Howard's try, Heaton's try. It's always nice to see uh, the Canadian players, you know, crossing the whitewash, dotting down. It's always nice. Povey, in his first start, he had a real nice run in the lead up to um, what ended up being the game winning try. Um, Seattle scored a try after, but wasn't enough to catch Houston again. Um, so nice to see Povey kind of playing well, playing at fullback again, though. So that's that's also kind of an interesting thing, I guess, to keep an eye on because you know, fly half is such an interesting position on the Canadian national team. And, um, but I think, uh, one of the Canadian performances that I mean that really stuck out again, and I feel like I, like I don't know, he might be he might be the most underrated player in the league. I don't know. I feel like MLR media and stuff doesn't talk about him enough. But Mike Smith is so good. Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah, he is just. It's every breakdown is literally like he is all over the pitch. Never gives never gives up on plays. He was the only guy on San Diego chasing down Fuatai on that uh that one drop that Fuatai yeah. ran all the way back. Uh, which is, you know, I mean, it's obviously didn't catch him, but it's, you know, it's something to, you know, give chase. And he, he did force the conversion to be a little bit harder than Fuatai probably thought it was going to be um, a nice little easy one under the post, but it ended up being. I've, I've got to say, um, the way we're talking like week in, week out, I do not envy the Canadian selectors when it comes to picking flanker. Oh my X-Men's god! 15 I know. Game. I mean, I mean Smith, uh, Rumble, Heaton, Penny, Abdulmanam. We keep talking about these guys all the time. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's, oh, it's good thing that there are thirteen teams for these players to go yeah. to. Otherwise, it'd be a nightmare just saying like which one who. Yeah, would get but time. even I mean, but yeah. even but, like, it, but that's but that's a headache you want to have, isn't it? It it's is. Like, all it these is. players I, are so good, but which one works best with them? Yeah, the, the back row is uh, looking solid for a uh, rugby Canada for, for a bit. And that's not even getting into, you know, guys like, uh, you know, James O'Neill, who's been playing for the, you know, coming in off the bench for the arrows. Yeah. Vicolani, Vicolani hasn't gotten into a game yet for the arrows yet, which is, I um, was, I did not think that would be something that I was saying five games into the season, but um, it's, 
and that's not saying that like Foley has has been playing poorly or anything, but it's I was surprised. I'm surprised that Vicolani hasn't been used as much. Um, but like, yeah, the back row is nuts. But like Smith just you know hits every breakdown. He always like seems to get his hands on the ball a lot and like slow the game down. It it's you know makes makes great tackles all the time. Seems to always be in position. Um, pretty good ball carrier when um, called upon as well, but he's just he's just everywhere. He got a uh, team of the week selection, I think, last week, and then uh, he had another a pheno- phenomenal game. And I mean, like, like we we kind of talked about early in the season. It's like San Diego's back row, I guess, with uh, with Pryor there, with Rob Shaw there, um, you know, and uh, Tamalau there. Like, it's a pretty good back row. And he's like, and I mean, obviously there was a little bit of some injury issues with Pryor and Robshaw earlier in the season, but he is making it real difficult for Danny Lee to take that mm-hmm. jersey away from him as probable evidence that Robshaw's cup came off the bench in this one. And like, in, in all honesty, like I do not see why you would take him out. Um, this New York San Diego game too, as a whole was unreal. Um, Freyer had an amazing try, little count, yeah. counter attack with, you know, all the, the offloading and stuff from Mitchell and Lutz as well. Like it worked, it was really well. And then um, you mentioned Jack Height. And that, I think that the, you know, that was kind of, that's kind of the, probably the game of the week, New York, San Diego too. But yeah, um, had the, uh, the, you know, the final, the final penalty on the last play of the game. Loved, loved that he started celebrating before the ball even went in or crossed over. Um, that was, you know, it's all, always nice when it's like you can tell like the guys know it's great. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was a really that was that was a great game, and I mean, it's a uh, yeah. You're right though, man. The Canadian selectors at seven. Whew, good luck, man. That's good. That's gonna be a tough jersey to come by. But um, as you said, good problem to have. I wish we had that problem with more positions. Than just flanker. Uh, but well, as the season progresses, hopefully. Um, more Foster do it. I thought played pretty well. We didn't really talk about when we were talking about the arrows free jacks game, but I thought Foster do it played pretty well too. He's had no. a, he's been having a good season, man. He started. I think has he started all five games for the free jacks? I think so. I think he's he started yeah. one at like hooker the, instead of yeah. Uh, that was yeah. I think that's what threw me off. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's but yeah. Here's his home as the season goes on. Yeah. There's uh, more competition, more players stepping up for their mm-hmm. teams. And yeah, hopefully, come uh, the summer games, we'll uh, definitely have a few Canadians fighting for each position. Uh, now, speaking of um, Canadian and national teams, there's some news that has just broken today. Today is Tuesday, uh, March 15th. Um, and it's that Kevin Rue will become the Canada Women's 15 head coach. Um, this, is, this news, as I said, has only just broken today. So the details are thin on. Um, exact reasoning why um but Rue uh will have the chance to confirm the remaining assistant positions in April and we also have a timetable leading up to um the women's departure for the rugby world cup in New Zealand so March 4th to 6th there'll be a west check-in camp um the 11th to 13th will be an east check-in camp and 16th to 21st will be an overseas check-in camp uh, April 7 to 17th, there'll be a red and black camp for the top 40 players. In May, uh, May will the dates to be determined, the team will assemble prior to departure for the Pacific Four tournament between Canada, the US, New Zealand, and Australia. Uh, July 16 to 24 will be a red and black camp, and another one will take place on August 17th to 28th. And then in September, they will have the team assemble for the Rugby World Cup departure, which will be in Vancouver. Now, the former head coach, Sandro Fiorino, um, will remain a member of Rugby Canada until the end of March. So as I said, this news has only just come in today. Details are very thin on the ground. Um, America's Rugby News has pointed out that Rugby Canada is in the middle of a high performance review um, that was announced last May and it was initially to be completed in November of 2021, which would have been when the Women's World Cup would have conf- um, would have concluded. Uh, there was no findings of the review that have been made public. And the yeah, Fiorino uh, has been with Rugby Canada for 11 years 
and has been at the helm of the National Development Academy program in Ontario, which due to reduced funding has now unfortunately had to been cut. Um, Kevin Ruay, he has served as defense coach under Fiorino since 2018, and has also been the head coach of the Valley University and Quebec provincial women's teams. And the backs coach for French club Stade Bordelais. So, yeah, it seems to be a pretty major change. Yeah. Just what, what six or seven months before the World Cup? Months, yeah, yeah, so. it's yeah, it's it, it's interesting. Um, yeah, so they didn't really give uh, much of an explanation, I guess, beyond one of the academies that Central Farino was running i guess is no longer receiving funding so uh, like that was kind of the only explanation and then i mean i i guess i'm surprised in, in general um again like it's not really they don't really go into why i guess other than like why can't he i i, I just i guess i don't understand the connection between if he's not run if that academy is no longer gonna operate because there's a lack of funding why i just i don't understand why he still couldn't be the head coach of the women's national team um if that's as the explanation if that makes sense too um yeah but i like i guess i'm kind of surprised because it's like we went through i mean rugby can has obviously gone through a lot there's obviously a high performance review and stuff that's happening and i guess i'm ultimately kind of surprised looking at it that you know, the the men's sevens team struggled last year. The women's sevens team struggled last year. The, um, you know, the the men's 15s team certainly struggled last year. And, you know, one of the, I guess, one of the first coaching changes of 2022 is the women's 15s team, who's ranked fourth in the world and seven months away from a World Cup. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it is a bit confusing. Yo, um, yeah. However, one thing to point out is um, that uh, Jack Hanrity um, was one of the assistant coaches for the women's 15s team, was made the head coach of the senior women's sevens yeah, team. Sevens team. Yeah, and so- that has, that's been extended for the duration of the um, World Seven series. And I believe up until the sevens world cup in south africa yeah so Um, but so so basically it's that um the team the background team behind the women's national team who are currently ranked fourth in the world um have just been allocated to like different places or like different positions now yeah um so as as i mentioned is that in the timetable it will be the um Pacific Four competition taking place in mm-hmm. uh, May, so May and June. So yeah. I think that will be the proper litmus test of yeah, where everyone um, if these coaching teams, if this coaching difference is going to make place. Um, ideally, uh, because this is a continuation of a staff member that's already been with the organization since 2018. Uh, business as usual, please, and. Um, Hopefully, we can say that by September that this ultimately mm-hmm. came for the benefits of the women's team. But yeah, um, I mean, all things said, Sandra, Sandra Fiorino, thank you for your 11-year service with Rugby Canada. Um, it is very greatly appreciated. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, obviously, you know, so like you said, plenty of changes. Um, the press release does say that Rouet, press release does say that Rouet is going to finalize his coaching staff. Um, in early April, um, which early April is like in two weeks, two, three weeks, I guess. Um, so I guess it shouldn't be too long before we, uh, before we know who the, the rest of the coaching staff for, for the team's going to be, um, going into the world cup year. I guess, I guess ultimately though, it just seems like a, a pretty big change going, you know, in such a short time away from a world cup, even though, even though Rue's obviously been part of the coaching staff for a long time, but it, it seems like a real, it just seems like a real big change going into it. So I guess we'll, we'll see how it turns out. Um, 
obviously, you know, we talk about like the women's 15s team going into this World Cup. It's like there's some expectations on this team, right? Like it's like winning the World Cup is not in is not out of the question for them. And yeah. you know, that's um not, you know, what I mean, so it's uh it's definitely not out of the question. And you know, even like going back to some of the games that they played last year or whatever, it's like in- England's probably going to be the team to beat, but you know, you, you definitely want to see, like, I mean, I, I like, what, what should we set expectations at? Is it like going to be like semifinals is like kind of, if they get to the semifinals, yeah. Be like, yeah, like anything beyond that or, you know, making it to the semifinals is kind of what you would expect out of the team maybe, but yeah, I think it is going to basically fair- fall. I think it's going to fall the way of like, you obviously can't tell at this point what the um, knockout yeah. stages are going to be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think, uh, Having semi making the semifinals should be a good uh, yeah like uh, testament. Pro- I mean, I mean, I'm I mean sure. that's, that's the thing. They are currently ranked fourth in the world, so you expect them to be a, like the, as part of the final four that's making the uh, World Cup final. So, but it stands to reason that they should make the semifinals. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think they can do it. I think they could. I think they have a shot at winning it too. But it's uh, yeah. I mean, it it's definitely going to be a big story to be kind of following. It's probably be a you know, as a podcast that covers Canadian rugby, I feel like we're going to, you know, this, this is going to be quite the year to take a bit of a deep dive into the women's national team a, a lot during this year. Well, like we mentioned, we have the uh, Pacific Four tournament to look forward to. And then, of course, the Women's Rugby World Cup, which will take place. As for now, though, we have to look forward to this weekend. We have the final round of the Six Nations, uh, the Men's Six Nations, sorry, um, which will be on Dazone. Uh, if you're looking for the few Premiership and URC games that are going on, they'll be on Sportsnet. If you want to watch Super Rugby Pacific, that will be on TSN. Uh, if you want to want, if you want to watch Japan League One or the other MLR games, you can find them on the Rugby Network. And if you're looking to watch the Arrows versus Utah, they will be playing this Saturday at 4:30 p.m. Eastern Time on TSN.ca and the TSN app. And speaking of the MLR games that will be happening this week, we come to our predictions for round seven. And first up, we have Utah versus Toronto. So, Derek, this will be the first game of the round. It'll be held in Utah. Who are you picking? Well, you know, I'm picking Toronto. Always picking Toronto. Got to back the boys, man. It's Yeah. It'd be a tough one, man. Utah's on fire right now, though, but... Utah's on fire right now, but as Toronto have played in the snow this week, I think they'll be the ones who can douse the flame. So I'm going to pick Toronto as well. Okay, next up, we have the first round of the Cali Cup. It is Los Angeles versus San Diego, and it will be back at the Coliseum. And, you know, I think you mentioned last week about LA having the four-week preseason last year when other teams didn't. And now this year, it's all even. Now everyone's getting the proper preseason training and getting into it. And LA are being exposed. Now, obviously, LA also have injury issues as well. I think so, that's way bigger. So I think that's so the biggest problem. Yeah, that probably is. The, so, you know, with their injuries, with their momentum not going their way and... The but I mean both teams did lose in the previous round, but San Diego lost by fewer points. So I'm going to go with San Diego. Yeah, you know what? I I think I got to agree with you on that one too. It's uh, like I think the injuries are the biggest issue that LA has. I mean, like to just to sum it up, their coach is playing fly half right now. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's not good. Yeah, who hasn't? When was like he played in? When was like his last pro game, like twenty sixteen or something like yeah, that? Yeah, like six years ago. Or something yeah, like that. so it's like I mean, like that. Just to sum it up, right? Like you're like that's how I guess you still have guys. Uh, what their leading try scorer from last year, DTH Vandermerver, still isn't playing. Um, yeah. you know, a couple guys came back. Sears Duru came back last week. Um, you know, hopefully Lesage will come back. Um you know, soon as well. But um, yeah, like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's one of, this is one of those picks where I'm kind of like, I haven't seen LA's lineup. So I don't know if anybody's going to, I haven't seen LA's lineup as of yet. We're recording this on Tuesday, which is a little bit later than normal, but um, until I, I feel like it's like, until I know they're getting these guys back from injury, anybody, 
any of their other fly halves that aren't their coach um, mm-hmm. would be nice. And uh, I think I'm going to go with San Diego um, just for this for the same reason. San Diego's playing really well, and LA's super hurt. I guess is the reasoning behind the pick. Okay, next one is a bit of a closer fixture than uh, on paper, at least. It is Austin hosting New England. Mm. So now both teams have one loss, uh, but have been on you know pretty much hot streaks for the duration of the season so far. Um, Austin have also yet to take their bye week, and yeah. you know they had a bad performance against ATL, but I don't know, Derek. Who are you picking? Oh, uh, yeah, a lot of the teams in the West haven't had a bye week yet. It's kind of weird how the schedule worked out. I think I'm going to take Austin solely on the basis that they're the home team. Because this is going to be a very even game, I think. I think, yeah, I think it's going to be a very, very close game. I can, I can see both teams getting like try bonus points, and the loser getting a losing bonus points. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with New England. I don't think. Yeah. This, see, here's the thing: if New England, wins, it doesn't seem like there's a wrong choice to this game. If New England wins, I don't think there's a lot of tries in this game. Okay. Or the, I'll say uh, New England. Yeah, like I think, I think if, if Austin, I think that's how I think Austin's gonna win. If they, I mean, I know it sounds dumb, but if like if they can out, like if they can put up a lot of tries, they'll probably win because it's like I know that sounds dumb because like obviously that's how rugby works. <laughs> but like I think I think if if Austin gets to the point where like it's like they can use kind of their attack and if it. If they are putting up like four or five tries and stuff, like I, th- I think, yeah. I think New Z or New, I, don't know. I think New England plays really well in like the tight kind of like dirty, gritty, like in the mud type of rugby games, kind of like last week with Toronto yeah. or whatever. Lots of the physicality. I think that's where New England likes it, and then guys like Waka can like kind of Waka Poland can kind of like explode for the offensive attack and stuff. But I think if New England wins, I actually think it's going to be like low scoring. Okay, next up is Dallas versus Seattle. Now, I'm not too sure about it because all logic says that I should go for Seattle, and yet, after the performance they put up against Nola, I think I'm going to pick Dallas. I was going to say, I'm going to pick Dallas because I have a Dallas hat now. Oh yeah, you have to now. And you're I like contract- yeah, you're exactly. contractually obligated to. Yeah, exactly. I can be I can be bought. My fandom can be bought. I'm just saying that's the, the picks here. Okay, and next up we have Nola versus New York, and this will be at the gold mine. So, oh man, I think I gotta go New York. You gonna go New York? I think, yeah, I think I gotta go New York. But they didn't even give you a hat. You're just uh, doing this out of. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. I, they did not give me a hat. They should. They should. They look like they have uh, some pr- some pretty nice hats, man. Uh, saw, uh, you know, during those the sideline uh, interviews, there, Pego uh, Hani was w- rocking a nice little like new era hat. Yeah, they look pretty good. All man. right, all right. Uh, okay, at the gold mine, I I'm gonna go with Nola. You know, I think. Uh, that victory, that hard-fought victory against Dallas, I think that you know momentum will swing back in the way. They're the home team as well. You know, it may make the difference. I may be completely wrong. And the final game we have is DC versus ATL. This will be at Segra Field, and DC are coming off a bye week as well. And they've made uh, signings um, during the bye week as well. Uh, don't know when they'll if they'll come in, but. Uh, I've said all that, and I'm still going to pick ATL. I think the question for this game is just how much does ATL win by? Yeah, I think. So, ATL again? Yeah, like we're going ATL. Uh, so, yeah, that's my question. Though. How much is ATL going to win by? We have to make this slightly more interesting. Uh, I'd say enough to get the try bonus point. 
Yeah, but that's not winning. You can you can get the try bonus point and win by one. How much is ATL going to win by? Uh, I'd say eight. Eight. I'll go twelve. You know what's going to happen now is that DC is going to absolutely DC is going to win. Good. Yeah. All Maybe right. that's what they need. They need everybody picking against them to motivate. Okay, that- it's kind of funny though how it's like it seems like everybody's kind of low key rooting for the Jackals to get their first win, but everybody, yet, but at the same time, everyone's kind of like Dallas. DC's terrible. Yeah. All right, so that is, that's your predictions. That's my predictions. And if you're looking for the Toonies predictions, you can find them on our TikTok account at the Rouge Rugby. You can find us across social media: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at the Rouge Rugby. If you like this episode of the podcast, you can listen to more on Anchor FM and Spotify and other Apple Podcasts as well. And you can also watch our previous episodes on YouTube, again, all at The Rouge Rugby. And if you are watching on YouTube, you can see below that we have our handles for social media available. Derek's looking at his right now. Um, But if you're listening, you obviously can't see this. So Derek, if people want to find you, where can they do so? At Percept the Jet across all social media. Um, pretty easy. I also did a podcast with Squidge last week, so that was fun. So check that out. The Squidge Rugby retrospective from the 1987 World Cup. Canada won 54,019 to Ireland 46. So it's pretty pretty great game. Casual name dropping there. And you can <laughs> find me across social media on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is Hardman, spelled H4RDMAN. Well, that's that's where we're going to end the podcast for today. Derek, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you for joining us, whether it be on YouTube or on your chosen podcast channel. And we hope that you can join us again next time.